Hi, welcome to Offscript Film Review. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Ty West's Pearl. The horror follow-up to X from earlier this year is out in theaters. We went and saw it. We're going to tell you what we thought. We're also going to take a look at See How They Run, a 1950s whodunit from a uh, up-and-coming film director, I think. Guy's done a lot of TV, writer who's done a lot of TV. This is their first jump to film. We're going to get into it. Uh, we're going to take a look at a couple trailers, some exciting things coming out. And before we get to all of it, when you talk about the news, our first story this week, uh, the People's Joker pulled from Toronto International Film Festival over rights issues. Uh, the People's Joker is a unique little movie. I just watched the trailer seconds before we started this podcast, and we'd show it to you if you're watching on Facebook Live, but we'll probably catch a copyright flag although rights issues are part of the reason this movie isn't at toronto international film festival anymore funnily enough andy what 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 is the people's joker what is this movie so this is a really bizarre film by a uh, filmmaker vera drew uh that that has kind of taken on this film her, herself and it's really bizarre and this is like the joker like the dc joker using characters from dc like batman and others places like gotham city and it's a very kind of progressive uh film about uh, a person who becomes the joker but that is having a gender identity issue uh, and this is played by uh vera drew uh herself and uh they they fight a caped crusader that's also a fascist in gotham city <laughs> um you can't make this stuff up Th this movie is, it looks terrible like the i watched the tra i only got through like half the trailer because it's the most student made looking uh thing i've seen in a long time and i don't even know how this got in into toronto the toronto film festival because it's just so laughably bad but what's even more bizarre is that they thought that they would be able to just play this and not have dc come knocking down their door because they're using you know very clearly copy written uh characters so there there are certain like low budget films i think that like can be seen as uniquely like auteur and doing something different in the space and sometimes those movies will break into a festival like like the toronto international film festival last year we saw movies like greener grass or uh there's one that came to the texas theater it's called strawberry strawberry mansion strawberry mansions mm -hmm. with the same kind of look like this like really low budget but it's like done on purpose as as, as like a, a an attempt for an artist to like express themselves in the best way they can and sometimes like some of the best cinema can come from moments like that and i think that's how people's joker got into this uh this year's film festival watching the trailer like it very clearly is leaping over a number of sharks it's almost it looks like it's almost all shut on green screen it's super low budget and the trailer like very proudly and loudly claims this is a completely unauthorized feature um, from detective comics warner brothers and anyone that may claim ownership over the trademark therein i mean it says it right there like this is this is an illegal comic book movie it says it in there and i think that adds a little bit of you know a little bit of pizzazz a little bit of draw like maybe toronto national film festival thought that might be cool and then clearly like somebody actually watch the thing or at least looked at the trailer which again very proudly and very boldly says this is unauthorized we don't have the rights to use any of this uh and maybe they ran that by warner brothers and warner was like what's that movie absolutely not there, there's <laughs> no way you're running it i, I mean I, that's my best guess anyway yeah so now things that are parodies kind of fall under right fall under fair use and you can make uh, like weird the music of weird al yankovic is exactly is exactly that uh if you are making a bona fide parody uh you you have the right to kind of reuse another person's work this can maybe fall under that um and it reminds me of the uh, if you're familiar with the youtube channel meat canyon uh they got into it with warner brothers over a, a kind of dark uh, sketch that they had done about uh bugs bunny and warner brothers essentially had to buy it from them or buy it off them to claim that this was their property. And, I, and I'm sure a check was, was cut to basically buy it and get it off the internet. Um, so maybe that's the strategy here to make this thing. That's like cringy and terrible and hope Warner brothers will pull it and cut them a check to make it go away. Yeah. It looks like this movie is made by an artist. All right. Like better or worse. This is, this is the art that they make. Vera Drew like clearly put a lot of work into this. They didn't, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a YouTube video. Like there's some effort made in this feature, uh, even if it is not quite as big and grand as others. And there have been plenty of, of artists who have viewed like the world of Batman or the DC universe through a, 
uh, dazzlingly gay lens. Joel Schumacher made uh, Batman and Robin and Batman Forever uh, after Tim Burton's first two Batman movies, and he he like up up and down the board is like, oh, Batman's super gay. Like he he was mm -hmm. all about it. Like he he totally leaned into that. And if you go back and watch those movies again, like you could start to see things you didn't notice back in the 90s when we watched these movies for the first time so the idea of somebody doing this is is not bad if anything like i, I think it's really creative but it's incredibly unauthorized and and toronto film festival clearly does not want the heat uh it's a charming name i mean it, it certainly generates interesting headline i'd probably like to see i don't know parts of it when it comes out <laughs> it doesn't it, it also does not look like a very good movie so I, I i don't i don't think a whole lot of it but i don't know maybe there's a little bit of magic in there who, who knows what, what we do know is toronto national film festival is not going to see any of that magic uh but in other news uh blade runner 2099 is happening what it's like a sequel to Blade Runner 2049 or a series sequel being produced by Ridley Scott and greenlit over at Amazon Prime Video. Uh, Andy, did you see more Blade Runner coming down the line? I mean, these things historically don't do very well at the box office. Uh, I mean, I, I I was hoping they, were, they would. Uh, I love the world of Blade Runner, as as do many other people. Um, I've actually been following the Blade Runner comics, which actually go in Blade Runner 2029, 3039, or 2039, 2049 um those have been really well so the that world is still being mined uh for content but i i'm surprised that that a, a whole series has been kind of greenlit but that's kind of what's happening now if you have a really successful film film property that's really has a big world worth exploring it's going to uh to series on, on tv look at the uh the rings of power the lord of the rings uh, new series on amazon prime uh and this is also going to be on amazon prime so that's one of the places that a lot of ip is going is is to kind of a prestige tv series uh fans of the show may remember way back when andy and i watched blade runner 2049 we were both big fans of of that new film uh, we fans. both like the original as well huge fans uh it is a sterling example of how to do a sequel well it, it's really great and blade runners had a little bit of success uh like andy said outside of, of the cinema they've got comics uh blade runner black lotus had a season on netflix uh but that's an animated series i don't know if it got greenlit for a series for a second series and i haven't heard much about it since it came out this however is intended to be live action uh, as far as i can tell ridley scott's attached to it like the and and in name this seems like a very explicit follow-up to you know, Blade Runner 2049, jumping ahead another 50 years. I, I don't know what exactly the world of Blade Runner looks like then. I, I think part of what makes it so charming is how it's like retro technology from the 80s, but it's covered in grime. Everything's dirty and dusty in the world of Blade it's, Runner. It's kind of where uh, cyberpunk uh, came from. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, big inspirations for things like cyberpunk, right? Uh, it le leans into that detective noir kind of feel. I don't know what Blade Runner 2099 is going to look at, but we'll, we'll have to we'll, we'll look like, but we'll have to take a look at it when it comes out. Even though we don't do TV on this show, uh, it sounds like cinematic television, and maybe that's worth talking about. Any other hot takes on new Blade Runner, Andy? I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to what kind of changes will happen. Uh, one of the things that the Blade Runner world has done really well is make significant changes in, in lore and what what has happened in, in the world from film to film uh the first one takes place in 2019 blade runner 2049 lots of things are different there's been this big blackout to uh, erase a bunch of records there's uh, a new nexus model of replicants that are now more obedient and have been reintroduced back into uh the population as uh slave labor um, so it's they make these updates really interesting. So I, I'm interested to see what, what is 50 years later in the Blade Runner world look like. Keep it here on Offscript for more from Blade Runner. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, go check out Blade Runner 2049. It is really good stuff. I don't know where it's streaming. I will find out probably soon. Uh, one more story this week. Three dollar movie tickets are coming back. Uh, yeah, after movie after National Cinema Day on September 3rd turned out record numbers across the country, apparently uh, some other theaters are interested in chasing this down. Andy, what do you know about this story? So National Cinema Day, which is kind of a manufactured holiday that, that happened over the Labor Day weekend, which is historically a very poor weekend at the movies. Um, 
and they had tried this over over in England actually to kind of do this cinema day with cheaper tickets. It was a huge success, and so they brought it over here to the states. Um, and again, it was it was a huge success here. Massive amount of tickets sold on that Friday through Monday Labor Day weekend um and they're looking to do it again possibly next year maybe on the same date maybe on, a, on another holiday but it's been a big success and it's something that we can expect to see uh for years to come maybe i think this is good i, I thought the last time they did it was good i think the next time they do it is good like anything that gets more people to the movies and hey what's what's wrong with the three dollar movie ticket day i think it's a perfectly reasonable price you know the studio still gets their cut the theater makes a, a, a boatload off popcorn and drinks and all the concessions you'll buy because of your cheap tickets why not, man? Sure. They should do $3 movie ticket every 90 days. Like, sure. I, I love it. I, I think it's a great idea. I think it falls in line with how theaters have been positioning themselves after the introduction of things like movie pass with their monthly subscriptions. They're giving out free tickets more now than ever before. Like, hey, man, wh why not? $3 movie tickets. Sounds great. Give, give an opportunity to go see Avatar again <laughs> or, or, you know, next week's Don't Worry Darling or God, Top Gun, which is still still in the. Oh, my God. How? I think you can How rent you can rent it at home now. Yes, I think I will be able to stream it for free on the Internet before I can. Well, I'm sure I could find a place to do You'll that. You'll be now, able to go God. ride the ride at Universal yes. Studios and it'll still be in theaters. <laughs> yeah. And then and yeah, we'll Top Gun the Rooster set. will be coming out well, yeah, when this movie's going out. <laughs> um, this was the biggest day as far as in terms of admissions all year, uh, which is a pretty impressive uh, feat over uh, eight million people went to the uh to the movies on september 3rd so it was a big success and there weren't any new films out this was relying on things like top gun maverick like the re-release -re of spider-man no way home the more fun stuff edition and anything else like that was still out so even without a big new release it was a massive uh day at the movies yeah and what a day it was like it is not every day you can get the three biggest movie chains in in the world to come together and agree on price for one day and it totally paid dividends i, I like that they're going to do it again i i think it's great that three dollar movie ticket day it rocks and and they should keep that going forever they should knock it down to two dollars if they can one dollar made free anybody can go to the movies why not buy in the sky uh I, one more update before we jump into our first review while i'm thinking about it uh Blade Runner 2049 is available to stream on HBO Max and Netflix. You should go check oh, it so out. Good. It is good stuff. But it may not be as good as our next feature. I'm excited to talk about this movie. So I'm going to be taking the summary on this. Uh, last year, or this year, right? X came yes. out. Am I crazy? Yeah. God, in the spring. How, did these, how did these come out so close to it? Yes. Uh, in spring, earlier this year, Andy and I went and saw a horror movie with a good buddy of ours called X, an original horror movie from horror director Ty West about a group of travelers and filmmakers who are staying at a farmhouse out in, you know, rural Texas uh, when something goes awry and it, it becomes a bloody chop house, grindhouse horror movie. Uh it entertained, delighted. We all we all thought it was really good. And the biggest surprise of X was at the end of the credits, there was a teaser trailer for a sequel film called Pearl from the same director, starring uh, a few members of the same cast. Uh, we were skeptical then, I think, because X was so unique and good, uh, uh, and and the idea that they quickly turned out a prequel shortly after production before they closed down sets and, and and turned off everything even even so insofar as shooting this prequel uh writing it during the pandemic when they couldn't film x is wild and, and the idea that they just kind of turned out this sister movie was strange but now pearl is in theaters we have seen it is it as good as x does it follow up uh the movie is pearl so Pearl, uh, like I said, is from director Ty West. His second feature this year is an anomaly. Uh, Pearl <laughs> is the story of uh, a young girl uh, working on her parents' farm in like 1918, I think it's said. That's the year. Um, 
watch loves going into town to watch watch the, the silent movies and the talkies and, and the girls dance on screen she, she wants to be a star someday but pearl has two parents who are incredibly overbearing a very stern mother uh, and a father who is uh, invalid he's in a wheelchair and can't speak and, and despite like her, her longing to to get out and, and become something more like dorothy and the wizard of oz uh she just can't seem to get away and this all goes awry uh when they, uh, she she her, she she develops a violent temper, I'll say, <laughs> and we quickly descend into uh, the chop house horror madness that we saw earlier this year in X. Uh, it is a small cast. It is a small feature. Andy, what did you think of Pearl? Man, I really enjoyed this. And I wasn't sure which way it would go because I, I was a big fan of X. Um, and I was a little worried that this would maybe try and be the same film just sent set you know 50 years before but it really stands on, on its own it's definitely complicated complemented by uh the first movie x but it, it's so much its own thing it, it's just shot entirely differently it, it looks like there's these bright yellows and reds it's like uh, technicolor it looks a lot like it's there's been a lot of comparisons to the wizard of oz it has its old the same kind of old timey 1930s 1940s uh sweeping score by tyler bates it, it's just oh it's just has a different feel look and and it's it has similarities there's similar themes and parallels to x but it's but it's different at the same time that you know there's similar themes of like repressed sexuality of you know kind of female entrapment within society uh, and you know these kind of different roles and it's just it's fascinating and it i was kind of engaged uh just the the whole time and and you you know where it's going kind of the whole way there's there aren't like big surprises or big gotcha moments but it's it's the journey to get there that that's really fascinating right i, I think part of the problem with pearl on its face is one it lands firmly in a time when like society is pretty tired of prequels and sequels and the idea that like, oh, there's a cheeky prequel we shot simultaneously with this movie you didn't know about called X, like is cool. But like, ultimately, it feels like it might be a little shallow. And, and additionally, uh, Pearl as a character is not that deep in X. Uh, she is the old lady who lives at this house that all of these uh, traveling kids get to to shoot their little you know, por porno film. Uh, X is really rad, by the way. You should check out X. X is great. Uh, and 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 so so Pearl's not that deep. She's got a husband and she's got a bit of an emotional center in X, but like she's also kind of an old, old psycho killer. So you don't really think a lot about it, right? Like you're not really you're not focused on her and X. You're focused on the other characters. This movie walks it back and says, no, no, no. She's the star here. That's what she's going to be. This girl who wants so badly to get out of her small town and become something big. And uniquely, Mia Goth, uh, who has her first screenwriting credit, helping Ty West write this movie and also starring. Uh, man, she dials it all the way up to 11. And she doesn't pull her foot off the gas once. And she is so good in this movie as this twisted up woman who just wants to be something more like who just wants to get out right the dream the dream every kid from every musical has ever had right a, a kid who's got an i want song like she just wants to be a star and and it, she just can't figure it out and the trailer looks like it gives a lot away and i think that's the other thing that might hurt this movie's box office returns like you see the trailer and you kind of think you know what's going on there um but I, I was really pleased to find that, like, while it is different, it is different from X. You, can, you can't walk in thinking it's just going to be the sequel or anything. Um, it's It's got a really unique energy. There's something really cool happening in this movie. So I'm, I'm glad we have the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, uh, her performance in this is it's incredible. Like it, it's legitimately Oscar worthy. We'll see if if it gets recognized. There's, there's no that. way. There's no way she should. Uh, honestly, it I'd probably nom worthy in my opinion. But I, I there's no way. This yeah, gets I mean, I, I and I was I was really surprised. And and it's not all all the time, but. You know, I, I was telling telling Zach after after we had watched it that you know she could have turned it up to eight, and it would have been an all you need for the film. It would have gotten the job done. Would have been great. But she goes to eleven. Like like she like think of the best monologues, the, the best pieces of acting you've ever seen. Like she goes there for several moments in this film, and it's incredible. Like absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a point where she has like a six six to seven minute uh, monologue. 
uh, that's incredible. She just has some really long scenes, and she just when she kind of loses her temper and goes over the top, it's just uh, just incredible pieces of of acting. Just yelling, crying, ugly crying, tears. Um, it's incredible. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I, it's so easy to write her character as just a violent person in a corner, right? Like, especially coming out of X, because that's what Pearl is in that movie. But instead, like, they go the opposite way, and, and they turn Pearl into this, like, stunningly tragic individual um, who's just kind of a victim of her own trappings, I guess, uh, who just can't, can't escape this mess that she's made that just begins to snowball into a bigger and bigger problem. And by the time you get to the end, by the time you get to where we're headed with X, like it kind of makes sense, but it's that extra layer. Like that's, that's what makes it work like that. I, I really think that's the, that's the gooey center of this movie. Um, along with, I should say, some of the visuals, which are simple but striking. Uh, I like I said, uh, Ty West uh, wrote this movie with Mia Goth during the pandemic, during quarantine, when they couldn't shoot X. They were locked down. They were locked, they couldn't do anything. And he said, "Hey, I had this idea for kind of a prequel." They fleshed it out, and they opted to use the sets from X before they demolished them all. I think they shot X in New Zealand. I want to yeah. say. Which is crazy because it totally passes for, for Texas. Maybe not so much in this movie. This one's a bit more whimsical and fantasy. The saturation's turned up a little bit in this one. Looks a little like Wizard of Oz, except obviously Wizard of Oz was black and white. It's going to be your, your your kind of Technicolor rainbow kind of movie. Uh, you know, the, the 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 sky is super blue and the grass is super green. And the blood is super red, yeah. and that's a big big part of what's going on here and everybody's wearing old school outfits it's the early 1900s it's a time of influenza which there's an interesting reflection of the pandemic when they shot the film versus the people in this movie lots of people wearing masks they're talking about hey you don't you don't have the bug do you like it's it's great uh i i think the movie has a really cool setting and it creates like a really refreshing but close to home feeling with like the first film where you're getting the same house and like the same barn and the same bunkhouse. Um, that's just really neat. Yeah. It, it's really, it's really incredible that they were able to use the exact same se sets and still make a very different movie. Um, X is very much a kind of classic slasher movie. Uh, you know, teen teens getting killed killer on the loose this is more in in the veins of something like um misery stephen king's work uh with annie wilkes played by uh oh i can't kathy bates <laughs> thank you she yeah, she, won, she won she won an oscar for that it's that kind of movie it's it's someone slowly going over there someone slowly losing losing their mind turning to murder to solve their their problems um and and kind of revealing other other horrors within and it's you know, you feel for for Pearl because she is really trapped in that she's trapped on this farm. She has this overbearing mother. Her father is kind of had a stroke. It's insinuated he's had a stroke from having uh, Spanish flu. Her she's been married. She got married to this American GI who's she hasn't seen in years because he's been you know overseas fighting the Great War. So she can't even like remarry to to anyone <laughs> that she, that she sees. It's really she's frustrated in in her lot in life, and she really can't stand it. She wants to do something about it, and I think that that's something that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, like this this buildup of of like ambition and temptation, uh, the frustrations of having like a mother who just will not let off the gas as far as like being stern is concerned her mom is like so so particular in this movie the dad who doesn't talk but like he just can't express himself at all the husband who's not who who's away like all of that builds into the person that pearl is going to become and and i think what's clever is the subtext that's written under that like the idea that her husband is away and she meets a local projectionist at the movie theater who's really charming and handsome and she starts to pine for him but feels like she can't like all of that adds something that like is not present in the trailer and that's the stuff that works because I, I was a little skeptical going in like i i i it just seems like a movie that would not normally hit the big screen like it seems like a movie i would go watch at like the local indie cineplex and then we'd talk about it on the show. We'd say it's bold cinema, move right past it. I love that this is in theaters. Like you can just go watch this anywhere. It's this level of like 
I don't know. It's a step past elevated horror, right? I want to compare it to something like Barbarian or Malignant or X, like this kind of new space that horror is traveling into of like the extreme and the art house turned back on itself to make something like bright red blood totally work. Right. And, and, and present horror in stark daylight, which is what a lot of what this movie does. People get killed like in, in the middle of a sunny field, in the middle of the day, like, <laughs> and it, yeah, it, it like, it presents itself in a space that like, I don't know a lot of other horror movies are doing. And I think it's really neat. Yeah, like, like you said, like we said earlier, it's it's this very bright world. It reminds me a lot of like Pollyanna, these nineteen or sixties uh-huh. uh, Disney films with yeah. kind of these bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, naive uh, ingenue, which is totally what, what Pearl is. You know, she you almost expect her to break into song at the very beginning because she's like talking with her animals. She's like, "Hello, Mister Cow, it's me. I can't wait yeah. to see you." You know, and then but then the more you get to know about her life, it's, it's terrible. Like she's has this really abusive overbearing mother who controls basically her, her every movement. And uh, there's just so much, she's so limited and stuck on, on the farm. Um, and it's, yeah. And it, it, it's, it's so different in a lot of ways and still, you know, it's not kind of jump scare scary. It's, it's not that kind of horror. It's just, it's very disturbing and it, it's a lot about mood and a lot about like scenes that, that will haunt you for, for days to come without, you know, do, uh, having cheap scares. Yeah. Like Ty, Ty West talked about in an interview, his, his kind of inspiration from something like a Hitchcock movie, which this movie in a lot of ways feels like, uh, you know, like the, the farmhouse on a hill by itself feels, starts to feel an awful lot like the Bates motel from psycho, right? Even, even Pearl's like general demeanor throughout the film. At one point she's wearing her hair up in a bun and a dress. She just, she looks just like Norman Bates dressed as his mother. Um, the, the, the mental scare, right? Like the buildup of horror, like over time is what this movie does. Well, I do think it's not without issues. Uh, I thought it suffered a bit in pacing in its first two acts. There was there was a bit very explicitly in the middle where I told Andy after we saw it. I was like, I, that, that was the moment I realized I was bored sitting in the movie theater. It comes around by act three, though. Overall, I was really pleased with the package. And I think a lot of that pacing is assisted by visuals, Mia Goss performance. And like Andy said, uh, the music, which is super good in this movie. And it's like very insistent. It's like an old orchestra. It plays through a lot of it. Uh, very cinematic. Uh, who, 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 who is the, the composer Ty- on this? Tyler you know? Bates. Tyler Bates. He scored a uh, 300. Okay. All right. No, no slouch, Mr. Mr. Bates. Yeah. I, I wouldn't put it past him. That's what I know him best for. And some other, he's done a number of other well-known scores. At- any other thoughts on this one for recommendations, Andy? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Pearl? Absolutely. If you're a fan of horror, if you're a fan of new horror and always want to see what's new in the, the slasher killer genre, definitely go see it. Uh, it's fun. It's fun. It's disturbing. has a great female protagonist. Incredible performance from Mia Goth, who is be- becoming a horror icon in, in her own right, especially if you've seen X uh definitely check this out i want to go back and rewatch x to see like parallels and in, in different ways the, the movies uh, connect as well but really highly recommend same here I, I think pearl's a ton of fun it's not for everybody I, I wouldn't recommend it to like you know your parents to go see it or anything unless they want to see something particularly off the wall and a little grisly but it's cool man yeah the, these two movies make for a really good double feature they got a really unique energy to them i am looking forward to maxine that's coming next there's a teaser at the end of uh the, the pearl credits I'm, i was i was bummed it's not much more than the one we've already seen after toronto national film festival if you've seen that one online that's what you're getting uh hopefully we get some footage soon i i i hope that is able to meet the same quality of these two but uh, so far, Ty West is two zero here. Like, if he if if he can pull it out, I think he's he's produced a brilliant horror trilogy in less than two years, which is wild. Yeah, uh, can't wait to see Maxine. And with that, we should probably move on to our next segment. Andy, you want to intro this for me? It's time for the trailer park. So we're going to be talking about a couple of new trailers that just came out uh, this week. Uh, the very first one is called Decision to Leave, and this is the latest film from. Uh, Park Park Chan Wook, who famously made Old Boy uh, back in two thousand 
two or, or three around there has made a number of other incredible uh korean films his last big film was uh the handmaiden uh, which was uh, kind of a period piece and very long it's a long movie very twisted he has a very unique style very visceral uh kind of violence uh this latest film is based on a a murder or not a murder a death that happens uh on a mountain it's a climbing accident the uh, detectives are sent in to see what happens and uh they they meet the dead man's wife who immediately becomes uh, a suspect and also the the detective kind of falls in love with her at the same time while he's supposed to be investigating uh this death so we don't really know too much more uh than that i thought it, that it's interesting the the wife is played by a uh, tong Wei, who's actually a chinese actress and in her character is chinese in the movie in korea so it's there's extra suspicion because she's also uh, a foreigner she's not a, a native korean person uh but i, I i'm a huge fan of park chan Wook. super excited uh for this uh zach what do you think uh, so I hadn't seen this trailer up until just before the show. Andy had sent it over a while back, and I thought, oh, yeah, I'll watch that one, and it just slipped by. Um, we're getting an Oscar season, right? We're getting into, like, lots of bold cinema, and so I'm glad he brought this one up so I could actually go check it out again. Dude, this trailer looks super good. <laughs> it looks like a really good trailer. There's a lot of really pretty shots in it. I like the tone. I don't really know where it's headed. Uh, the, the the review clips they show in there are interesting. Somebody compares it to Parasite. Another person says it's insidious. One person says it's the best romance you'll see all year. I don't know what's going on in Decision to Leave. I think the title needs a little work. Maybe that's a translation thing. Whatever Prob it is. Probably. The movie looks rad, and I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, I think Decision to Leave looks like good stuff. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I can't. I can't vocalize how excited I am yeah. for this movie. And, it, and it's hard to to really say that his visual style is very unique. No one in the States is makes films uh, quite like him. And he, he loves this line between like horror, violence, and romance. All his films kind of tread that line. If you've seen the Vengeance trilogy or the vampire film Thirst or his American debut film called Stoker, which starred Nicole Kidman, uh, Matthew Good, and Mia Wasikowska also had treaded that that same line. The Handmaiden, uh, not to be confused with The Handmaid's Tale, The Handmaiden no. uh, also does that. So it, it uh, he's one of those directors that I just get so excited anytime he, uh, he puts out new work, and that comes out sometime uh, in October. This is uh, October fourteenth, um, so we'll definitely be catching that next uh, next month. Uh, the other film. Uh, this just came out today that we're going to talk about is Hellraiser, the new remake of, of the original 1987 classic, which is going to be coming out on Hulu on October 7th. We finally get a, a trailer for this. Uh, we get to see Jamie Clayton as Pinhead, uh, the Cenobite, and we get to see other Cenobites and we get, we get a look at at. A lot of things from the from the original film, uh, if you're not familiar, the original Hellraiser surrounds this puzzle box that kind of been passed down through the ages. And if you solve it, you you are exposed to pleasures and pain of all kinds. And eventually these creatures called the Cenobites come to collect your soul after you open the box and there's uh it's a horror classic from 1987 it's being remade and we get to see a lot of that same iconic image imagery we see the puzzle box we see the chains coming kind of from out of nowhere we see the cenobites reimagined that we see the chatterer we see Hel uh, pinhead we see uh, a new one i think called the mask i'm super excited about this zach what are your thoughts I am a little skeptical about Hellraiser. I'm excited. I'm tentatively excited, but man, you 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 literally can't count on one hand how many times somebody's put out a trailer for a Hellraiser movie that looked good and then was bad. Hellraiser is like a really really cool franchise, like and, and it's held up by like a Wes Craven film at the center. Was it? I think Wes Craven actually did. Clyde, Bar I know he wrote Clyde it. Barker. Clyde Barker. I'm sorry, it was Craven. Clyde Barker. Clyde Barker uh it's uniquely its own and i don't know if this one's gonna quite reach like the lofty heights of the original but i like this reboot look it's a good looking trailer i'm excited to check it out uh hulu on october 7th that's gonna be hellraiser yeah and that's uh yeah, go ahead it, well, just one quick thing is that uh there's also a hellraiser series that's supposed to be being made on hbo uh mm. so there's a competing property that's eventually going to come out as well so that'll be interesting uh, yeah. to see as well the, totally separate projects 
have any of them have any of the hellraiser movies like run with that plot line of like a character coming back from hell and like slowly trying to reinvigorate themselves like i it's like 1999's the mummy right like same the same gag yeah so i have there are nine hellraiser movies most of them most of them straight to straight to dvd um there are kind of the first two are the most well-known and then it kind of goes off the rails there i haven't seen anything past the first two honestly right um but yeah that that is the gag someone trying to recreate themselves that's what happens in the I thought, first one I, I i thought that was such a great journey into the crazy in the first hellraiser because you have a character who's witnessed these things and visibly reflects the place they've come from like no skin slimy like just horrifying stuff man like god kept me up at night when i was a kid um, I hope this one's got got a little bit of that juice. Like I like, yeah, the, the Cenobites look good. All right, uh, sorry, I'm done talking about how I want to see it. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm 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 a little skeptical, but I hope it's great. And with that, we should move into our final episode. Not a lot of trailers this week. Uh, final episode, final review. Good lord. Uh, Andy's gonna be taking the summary on this one, thankfully. Uh, while I get my words together, Andy, please take it away. See how they run. This is the latest film from Tom George. This is a comedy whodunit uh, starring Saoirse Ronan and Sam Rockwell. Uh, This is kind of a subversion of of the whodunit, the Agatha Christie uh, type uh, films. It starts out very similar to how those do. There's a murder in the beginning. Everyone gets gathered in a a room, but it quickly goes on its own way and starts uh, kind of doing very different things from what the genre usually does. It takes place in 1953 in London. There is uh, the the play The Mousetrap, which is another Agatha Christie whodunit, which is playing, which is actually in real life the longest running like play ever. It's been running for like 70 years or something. Mm. Um, and so this is kind of centered around that. The director, played by Adrian Brody, ends up dead within the first kind of 15 minutes, and and our two police officers are on a mission to, to you know find out who done it and they're running all over oh, all over town interrogating different people he has he's made a lot of enemies within this play the, the writer the producer other other jilted people um so they're running all over over town trying to get clues our our main characters um constable <laughs> constable stalker which is, Con- is uh, yeah Sir- inspector stoppard and uh constable stalker yeah, <laughs> it's very similar names. I think on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Const- the constable is played by Sir Sharona, and she's a young, kind of bright-eyed, uh, new police officer. She's excited about the job. She wants to do well. She needs some training. Uh, she has this little notepad. She's writing everything down all the time. That's done to the annoyance of uh, Stoppard, played by Sam Rockwell, who's uh, he's a veteran uh, of the force. He is also a little bit drunk and isn't super excited to have this green sidekick, um, but kind of has to take her on anyways. And we get a lot of really funny moments uh, kind of throughout the film, lots of little gags, very self-aware. So that's our our film. I realize I've been talking for a while now. Zach, what do you think? Uh, I like this movie. See how they run is a, is a story for storytellers. It's a movie about making movies in its own way. It's not actually about making movies, although there is a director in it uh, played by Adrian Brody, who is very good in this movie. Uh, I love Adrian Brody. I hope he gets more work. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing when he's not doing TV and theater, I guess. Uh, I I like this movie. I It's a whodunit. It's not great it's it's not a great film but it's a good one and i think that's important um i don't see a lot of movies like this at the movie theater anymore normally it's gonna be something that either totally swings for the fences and goes really big uh like avengers right or a lot of other marvel movies or it'll be something really bombastic and different like pearl or uh the lost city starring sandra bullock uh this is not quite a giant budget and it's not quite super different but it's different enough, and, and, and I like it. I, I like Saoirse Ronan in this. I think she steals every scene she's in. Uh, Sam Rockwell, I'm a little bit more lukewarm on. It took me half the movie to figure out what he was doing because he's <laughs> so low energy. And then as you find out more about his character, you come to understand, oh, he's doing like an Eddie Valiant thing from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He's like this 
torn up, washed up inspector who is frustrated with the world and himself. And he's got a different energy than everybody else. But ultimately, like, I think it's a charming cast. I don't know a lot of them, but it takes its time. It, it, it makes its jokes and it gets a few laughs. See how they run is simple. And, and I don't mind simple at the movies. Simple does not a bad movie make. So where do we start talking about this thing? Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about was just the style of the film, which I really enjoyed, like the way it's it's shot and like the cinematography. Very interesting, almost like comic book panels a lot of times where the screen is split in half and there's something happening on the top half juxtaposed with the bottom half, or there will be four quadrants of different things happening. So there's a lot of real interest and a lot of, I think, real kind of original touch to the direction and, and cinematography. And that's one of the things that kind of keeps it interesting because you're right, it, it does... It's not a great film, but it's 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 solidly made. It has good performances, and and the style is one of the things that really stuck out to me. Yeah, I, the, the, I'm I'm a big whodunit fan, and and most recently at the cinema, I think whodunits have been given a a uh, a shot in the arm from you know Ryan Johnson making Knives Out, which is really good. Not, not no. Whereas I said, this movie's not great, but it's good. Knives Out, I might say, is great. Like, Knives Out is really tremendous. So walking into this, it's hard not to kind of have that in, in the back of your mind. Like, hey, you know, I, I have an idea of what this movie's going to be. And, and, and see how they run addresses that right up front with a monologue from Adrian Brody, a uh, film director in the film, who explains that... Uh, he doesn't want the movie he's making in the film to be like other whodunits. He wants it to be different and have some action and some punch and some pizzazz. He wants it to be sexy. And meanwhile, uh, the playwright in the film, uh, played by, by David Oyelowo, uh, is <laughs> the exact opposite. He wants it to be thoughtful. He wants it to be <laughs> Agatha Christie, characters talking in rooms. That's, that's what makes a good whodunit. And that sets up the framing for this film to address you, the audience, and saying that, hey the creators of see how they run have looked at whodunits and they know what they're doing and they're trying to do something a little different. And I think that's important. That helps it stand out. That gives this film its own identity. Just like Andy said with like the split screen views that happen, they even go to three and four screens at one point. Uh, I think that comes from director Tom George. Uh, he's done almost all TV before this. Same with the writer, Mark, Mark Chapel. Same thing. Almost all television, very little feature film work between the two of these. And the writing is sharp. Uh, it's not always perfect, but it's funny. There's a lot of really good quips. There's a lot of really good opportunities for characters to have little moments interacting with one another. Um, and I think that stuff's important in a character drama like a whodunit, right? You got to have unique individuals. Everybody needs to have a pretty unique silhouette. Everyone's got to have a solid alibi. And most importantly, somebody's got to be the murderer. And I think See How They Run does a pretty good job of navigating those waters. It's not perfect, but overall, like, it's a fun feature. I, I, yeah, and, and, I, and I think it, it it gets across, at least in its writing, I think, uh, well enough for me. Yeah, it, it's a fun little mid-budget film. And you're, like, you're, you're right, we do have really unique characters. We have Adrian Brody as kind of the American swaggering uh, director and who who's trying to get this uh the, the mousetrap also made into a film and and that has a big hey guys uh another week at the podcast another week of having technical issues we got to get these things sorted out uh andy looks like he cut off stream so i'm just going to jump in where he left off with our cast adrian bloaty hey bloaty adrian brody my god i'm falling apart this week uh plays a wonderful film director david oyelowo plays a playwright in the feature uh harris dickinson or plays a actor who's our lead in our play we've got a couple other actors in there patula spencer is played by ruth wilson who is really wonderful in this movie last time i saw her was his dark materials and hbo she plays the uh owner of the theater that the play is running in you get a couple other characters a butler an usher you get a you know an angry an angry spouse here and there ultimately like all of these characters make for a pretty good backdrop i think of everybody in the feature what they don't necessarily make for is compelling alibis uh not everybody in this movie gets the time they need i think to present a really sterling picture of who actually done it and i think it's a bit of a surprise at the end uh who is the person who has actually done it at the end of the movie and, and i think that's just because 
this film is not so concerned with like the core mystery as much as is building a rapport between our two leads, uh, Saoirse Ronan and Sam Rockwell, who are both really tremendous as these two <laughs> two inspectors or inspector and a constable who are at an opposite end of their careers. Saoirse Ronan is up and coming. She's working on her little notebook, right? She's she's trying to pass the sergeant's exam in just, just a month. And Inspector Stoppard, meanwhile, like is you know, a little drunk on the job. <laughs> He's got a he's got a limp from the war, and he's having a you know he's he's just having a time of it, and he does not want to put up with this young girl who's very quick to jump to conclusions and assume that somebody might be the crook uh, when they may in fact not be the crook. Uh, the cast does a good job of holding all that up. I I, I think the real stars are going to be Sersha, David, Adrian, and Sam Rockwell. I think all all really run away with it. Um, but ultimately, like I think what I like most about this movie outside of wait a second. He's back and he's back on the I'm back here. Sorry. It's all right. Uh, I just got through walking through the cast. Uh, I was just about to jump into aesthetics, the look of this movie. Uh, Cause that's really striking. There's a lot of really fantastic wallpapers, paints, sets. Uh, the houses in this movie look really cool. The, 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 the street corners look really good. I'm impressed at how good this movie looks. I, I think they did a really good job uh, getting some set dressing and costuming uh, to make everybody look and feel as if they're not in a studio. They are actually at this big, you know, grand hundred year old theater where this play, the mousetrap is running. I, I think that stuff works really well aesthetically, really good visuals. Yeah. Uh, they make good use of buildings and things from like the 1950s. There's a lot of hotels that I, I imagine they scouted the, you know, what was around in 1950. That's where we're going to uh, shoot, shoot our film uh, inside the hotels uh, look really nice. The, like the theater, where the mousetrap is playing uh, is an interesting piece. And again, it's as colorful as our characters, um, you know, five or six uh, people in, in the cast, all important to this film as well. Yeah, they absolutely are. Um, I do. I was, I, let's see, I explained and it's just to catch you up, Andy, I explained a little bit that I felt like the writing does not actually focus so much on the whodunit because you don't, the mystery is not particularly predictable. And that's an interesting feature of, I think, the modern whodunit. Knives Out does the same thing. I've got a friend who is, or a friend of a friend, I should say, who is big mystery writer-reader. And they were frustrated with Knives Out, just like this movie, because they said it, it wasn't predictable by the end. You couldn't predict who did it and why. And, and, and any good whodunit, the audience should be able to get there. But See How They Run isn't as much focused on that, as much as it is like our kind of two characters and kind of this bumbling experience they have finding their way to the mystery it's a little again it reminds me of who framed roger rabbit like it's not so much about who killed eddie valiant's brother it's about roger rabbit and eddie valiant and the two of them going on this kind of, it's, it's about the journey not the destination and that's that's what's going on and see how they run i think it's important to to look at it through that lens right i think i think like you said the the writing is kind of the weakest part of this it's interesting and like there are a lot of good jokes there are some funny moments but it, yeah the mystery doesn't really pull you in uh, uh you know it's not mysterious enough it doesn't pull you in kind of different uh directions the way something like knives out uh does and with knives out you actually learn quote unquote who done it pretty early on but there's other mysteries to be solved and things to be explained and things to happen uh, throughout the course of the film yeah uh it's a meta film uh, very surprisingly meta uh, when I saw it a uh, buddy compared it to something like adaptation the Charlie Kaufman film uh, specifically that scene when Nicolas Cage starts writing the film that you're watching in the movie he, 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 he starts screenwriting the script to adaptation this movie doesn't quite get that far down the line but it definitely takes some time to comment on the genre to talk about whodunits to talk about murder mysteries Agatha Christie uh, is a surprisingly uh, prominent feature in this film uh, that I didn't expect. And if you've seen a whodunit, you probably know who Agatha Christie is because she, you know, modernized them, made, made them popular, popularized them. That's what I was looking for. Um, overall, I think it's a pretty complete package. I, I wish it was... I don't know. I wish it had a little bit more something. I, I can't quite put my finger on what it is. All in all, it, it adds up to a good portrait of a whodunit. It's just not quite 
I don't know. It doesn't quite get over the line for me. I didn't know if you felt the same way, Andy. No, I, I absolutely did. Like I said, there's a lot of things that work really well. The, the cast are our leads, uh, the, the style and cinematography, uh, a lot of the, the jokes. Um, but then, yeah, the overall narrative just isn't as interesting as it could be. Isn't as engaging as it kind of needs to be to, to, to knock it up there with, with something more like murder on the Orient express or knives out. It's true. Uh, early in the feature, I definitely thought I was going to be excited to compare this to Death on the Nile and say how much better this was. Um, but they're two very distinctly different movies, and it would—it's it, not that easy actually to hold them both up to a lens. You'd think, oh yeah, who done it in the early 1900s? How could you go wrong? But like, no, they, this this one is kind of its own. It it carves its own space a little bit, and while that carving is rough, I, I think it's important, and I think that's a good thing. So. Um, I don't know. I think it's about it for any other thoughts or recommendations, Andy. I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend see how they run? Yeah, I would, but probably save it for streaming. It's not something you need to run out and see in theaters, but it is a fun little movie. Uh, but you can probably wait till it's it's available on streaming service in a, in a couple months. I'm in the same boat. I, I like this movie a bit. I don't like it a ton, uh, but it's fine. It does not offend. Uh, I'll, I'll say I, I have very few bad things to say about it. I think it's an easy watch at 98 minutes. God, I wish more movies were 98 minutes when this comes to a streaming service and it will. That's where I think you should check it out. That'll be great. Sit down, grab, grab a glass of wine, hang out, watch, see how they run with hundred minutes. Person. I, I, it's not, not a bad feature. Uh, and that about wraps our show for the week. Quick one this week, Andy. What are we watching next week? So at long last, I feel like we've been waiting forever for this to come out, is uh, Don't Worry Darling, the follow-up uh, for Olivia Wilde, who directed Booksmart uh, several years ago, that uh, teen comedy. Um, this Don't Worry Darling stars uh, Florence Pugh, Olivia Wilde herself, Gemma Chan, Harry Styles, Chris Pine, uh, and I'm not going to get into the plot, but because that's the big uh, film <laughs> that we'll be watching uh, in theaters only uh, th this weekend. And then we're going to see what else uh, to kind of complement that. But we did want to let everyone know that uh, Avatar, the original 2009 uh, James Cameron film, is being re-released in IMAX and in theaters starting this weekend. So if you want to check that out before the Avatar sequel comes out at christmas uh that's gonna be playing this weekend also we might catch that well we might not it's three hours long and it's hard to carve that much time out in the theater and just uh the weekend but that's uh what's coming out this weekend yeah i, I worry the rest of the world is not as like meme meme excited as i am about avatar coming back out because i cannot convince hardly anybody to go watch that with me in theaters again everybody's like oh yeah avatar's back out yeah, it's like three and a half hours, right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's a long one, man. James Cameron's no slouch. Uh, so we'll find something else to watch. Uh, in the meantime, if you enjoyed the show today, if you like what we're doing here on Offscript, the biggest thing you can do to help us over at Offscript is just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Art Media. We're on all of them. And you can uh, follow us on there for audio versions of the show. If you want to watch our video versions of the show, see our beautiful faces, experience our technical difficulties you can find us on facebook where we live stream the show every tuesday at 5 p.m central we're on youtube where we upload our live streams facebook instagram twitter we're on all those places and you can follow us and that's all great but if you want to do us a real solid just subscribe to the show get new episodes of off script delivered straight to your phone you can also leave us a rating and review that'd be stellar as well but that's extra credit maybe not we won't worry about this th that this week let's just subscribe next week we'll do that all right we'll, we'll, we'll push that off from all of us at off script the home a bold cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.